0: Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Good. Hey, uh, about seven or eight years ago, uh, we had taken a family vacation down to uh, the Great Smoky Mountains right around Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Anybody ever been down around there, beautiful area. Rented a cabin up in the mountains right outside the city, and it kind of gave a like a feeling of seclusion, um, but also kind of giving quick access to the, the city proper for all the activities there. Now, the view from Gat- the, like the view of Gatlinburg like from our cabin was just absolutely amazing. Like just this like beautiful picture You can just look out over uh, the city. It was just, and the the weather, because I think we went, it was like early August. So like down in the city, it was like very hot and humid. But when you were even up just a little bit higher in the elevations, I mean, you'd lose almost 10 degrees almost immediately and the humidity would go away. It was just unbelievable. And so even though the view was stunning, the drive up there was less so they had these blacktop roads that just wound in all sorts of weird ways. And sometimes it would be like a hard right and then be like a 45 degree angle. And of course, there's no guardrails or any kind of fences or anything like that. So like, and we had, uh, the car we had at the time was a stick. So that was nice because I was basically in first first gear the entire time. But of course, I think like, you know, if if I like knock it out of gear or something like that. I'm like looking behind and seeing it. It's just like straight down the mountain. And, you know, it's just, anyway, kind of terrifying. Lots of, uh, you know, making deals with God while we were going up. Because, you know, did I mention there were no fences or guardrails while we were driving up there? So you're just kind of like winding up little by little. It's almost like the feeling of like whenever you ride like a big roller coaster, like at the beginning when you're slowly ratcheting up and it's like, and you're just like, gonna die, gonna die, gonna die, gonna die. Like that's how you feel almost the entire time uh, you're up there. But then once you see the view, it's totally worth it. You realize like all that stress like begins to melt away. And you're just like, man, we're in God's country, like this is unbelievable, just so absolutely beautiful. And and so that's why, you know, I, I'm feeling, I don't know, I mean, maybe this is from the Holy Spirit or maybe it's not, you know, I'm feeling like the next campus is going to be New Hope Gatlinburg, right? Think anybody want to be a part of that campus? I, I think I'm going to be the campus pastor there, so I'm just going to go ahead and call that ahead of time. But we need that sometimes, don't we? We need that big picture view to step out of the minutia of our daily lives where we just get so caught up in the humdrum, the day-to-day, all the little problems and issues and, you know, trials and tribulations that we face every single day that sometimes we need to go to the top to be able to kind of get perspective. Because I even remember, like, while we were there, we also went to this place called Klingman's Dome. Has anyone ever been to Klingman's Dome before? It is the highest point in the the Smoky Mountains. And so there's actually, uh, I was going to say, we got a couple pictures. There's like a walk, like you get up to a parking lot and then there's this walkway that you take all the way up to this observation point that it's a 360 degree panoramic view of the entire mountain range. There's another picture of the view actually up there. Like you just look out over the entire, and like, I remember when we were driving up there, it was like, 80-something whenever we were, like, down on the highway. But as we're winding up this mountain, just to get to the parking lot, I'm watching the temperature tick down one after another. And I mean, we probably lost 10 to 15 degrees before we even got to the parking lot. Like, that's how things change. And then once you walk up there, you're just like looking out and like, this is very different than being down in the humidity and the mosquitoes and just, you know, the the humdrum, like when you're down in the city. Like, it gives you perspective, over all of this. And so sometimes we need that. We need to be comforted with the big picture, to be reminded what life is really about. And so this is important as we're talking about this today because we're continuing a series we're doing called Help. And we're looking at some of the teachings around the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about in John's cha- John chapters uh, 14 through 16 as the disciples were getting ready to, and they didn't even realize they were doing it, say goodbye to Jesus It was his final night with them, and he's Uh, kind of preparing them in a sense for what is about to happen. And they're kind of freaking out and not sure how to handle this and not sure some of the cryptic things that he's saying. And he's trying to remind them that this isn't actually the end, but that the Holy Spirit would play a huge role in their lives for transformation, for empowerment, for guidance. And so we're looking at some of the key teachings in those passages to learn about the Holy Spirit as we're going into a kind of out of the Easter season and into Pentecost. Um, So there's one passage I particularly want to look at, where Jesus is giving them a little bit of comfort around the fact that he's going to be going away. He's going to be laying down his life. And so in John uh, chapter 14, starting in uh, verse 15, he says this. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, and for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus was about to die and the disciples, they didn't understand why things were unraveling the way that it was. So, he spent a good amount of time comforting them, letting them know there's this bigger picture to the coming hardship. All they could see was the cross that was about to happen. And that's often where we are in our lives that you may have a cross right before you, and that's all you can see. And you think your life is going to be forever a cross. But Jesus is saying, You need the bigger picture, you need the bigger view. And I'm telling you that I'm going to send an advocate, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you, to remind you of everything I've said. See, the spirit of truth would be given by the Father and the Son to be with the disciples long after Jesus ascended to heaven. So before, everybody had to wait till, oh, did you hear Jesus of Nazareth is coming into the area? Well, let's go hear him teach. Or, oh, I heard Jesus is in the next town over. Well, you know, I have a a crippled arm. Let's go see if we can maybe get healed. But he says, no, the Spirit will be with you and in you, meaning that you won't have to wait till Jesus comes into the area, that the Spirit of truth will always be with you no matter where you're at. Jesus will no longer be spatially challenged. And see, the word that Jesus used for the Spirit was the word Parakletos, which means several things. It can be translated several different ways in English. It can be translated helper, advocate, comforter. Like the word para, you know, Parakletos, we say Paraclete. Uh, Darren talked about this a little bit last week. It literally means like para, like along, like along with, alongside. And then to cling to, to cling alongside. So like we actually, the word para is where we get the word paralegal. Because someone who's a paralegal is coming alongside lawyers to work with them, to do law research and write briefs and different things like that. So the paraclete is the one who's coming alongside and clinging to and not letting go. And that's the title given to the the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside And so in this context, Jesus is coming alongside to bring comfort during this hardship, and he's reminding them, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. You're not going to be by yourself. Even though I physically may not be here, I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you always, the Spirit of peace, the one who will bring comfort in the midst of sorrows and trials, because he's the great comforter. And this would be a common theme among the disciples As they begin to step out and do and teach, and many of the same things that Jesus did, that the Spirit would bring. I mean, you read some of the stories of what the disciples go through that they are literally like whipped and beaten bloody, left in prison, and what do you find them doing? Singing songs throughout the night. Who does that? You you see them being persecuted and standing before governors and having their lives threatened, and yet they boldly proclaim the name of Jesus over and over and over again. How are those same people who denied Jesus, who were sniveling, scared little cowards, suddenly have great boldness because of the Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, and so as the years went on, the church saw the Holy Spirit empower and embolden them to many, many things. And we're going to be talking about this more as the series goes on. As they wrote down their experiences and teachings to be passed on to subsequent generations, we see the Spirit play this role of providing a, a sense of comfort and consolation to the church. And in some ways, I was Darren and I were talking about this, that this week almost serves as a as a foil, as a... Uh, flip side of the coin to what Darren talked about last week, because the Spirit, you know, brings conviction, conviction of sin, deals with with us when what is inside is wrong. And so on the flip side, I'm talking about the comfort, the consolation of the Spirit, when the Spirit deals with when things outside of us are wrong and messed up and broken. How do we deal with that when we're going through sorrows and trials and tribulations? We have the spirit of consolation. And so uh, I want to just look at one text just real quick and kind of go through where the Apostle Paul is writing about the consolation, the comfort of the Holy Spirit when we need that kind of big picture view because it's very easy for us to get caught up in the humdrum of life and feel like the cross is the only thing I see, that maybe I'm going through a death right now and that's all I can see right now is the death and the hurt and the pain in front of me and I can't see the bigger picture. And so in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes about this. He spends seven chapters kind of unpacking the gospel, and then he takes a moment in Romans 8 to kind of go to a Klingman's Dome, in a sense, of saying, hey, I just want to give you a big picture of where this story is going to be going. And so we're going to look in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is a huge sentence. Did you hear that? I'm going to read it again. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So whatever you're going through, it doesn't compare with what's going to come. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hopes that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they have already what they already have but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently so this is what Paul's doing he is giving us almost a gatlinburg of the book of romans this is the klingman's dome of the letter He's been fleshing out these details of the gospel for seven chapters, but then he takes this big step back to look at the big picture. That all creation has been subject to death and decay because of sin. That is why everything is broken, why everything is so messed up in this world. This is why famous poet Alfred Lord Tennyson said that the world is, quote, red in tooth and claw, The world has been subjected to death and decay because of the enemy's work, because of Adam's choice and our subsequent choices following it. Everything we experience is an echo and a ramification of that death that echoed from the beginning out now for thousands and thousands of years and has affected not just us as humans, but actually the the world itself, it says, is groaning because of that decay of sin. And so in verse 22 and 25, it says, the whole creation is literally groaning with anticipation. And the the metaphor he uses, it says, in the pains of childbirth. Because what is being born into the world? The kingdom of God. In fact, this is where Paul says that those who have the first fruits of the Spirit, they groan inwardly as they're waiting for adoption. They're waiting for Jesus to return and claim them as... His own, and so this restlessness that all of us feel at times—we've all felt this—of like, when is when are things just going to be over? When is it going to be done? I'm so tired of the fight. I'm so tired of the arguing and the problems and the pains. And I mean, literally, you turn on the news every single day, and there's some new thing happening that's just absolutely devastating and absolutely wrong and absolutely heartbreaking, and we lose loved ones before we should to diseases that no one should have, and we're just ready for it to be done. But see, this isn't our home, and this is the point Paul is making. This is why we sometimes need that kind of step back. Is because he says this world we live in is a shade and a shadow of the world that is coming, the one that is being born into the world. And so all these problems, everything that you're seeing, are birth pains, contractions, because something new is about to come. What it is, these problems we see, is the shriveling shell of a world in its final death throes, gasping its final breaths. And see, I think we get a small sense of this every time we travel or go on vacation like, you, you know, whenever you fly on a plane or stay at a hotel. And I know for some of us, it's been, a, it's been a hot minute since anyone's flown on a plane or stayed at a hotel. But I think we can remember back, like, when you're flying or when you're traveling, when you're staying at a hotel, it doesn't matter how nice the accommodations are. They can have the little mint on the pillow and big fluffy pillows. But, like, you just know, like, even as you're crawling into bed, you're like, yeah, this bed's comfortable, but it's not mine, Right? It can even be more comfortable than your bed at home. But it's not your bed. It's not home. And so what Paul is saying here is that is our reality in this world because we're longing to see a new world be revealed. And so Paul mentions us, he says that those who have the first fruits of the Spirit's are longing for this and and groaning for this. And I think he says that particular phrase, those who have the first fruits of the spirit for a very specific reason. The fact that he says first fruits of the spirit means something significant. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit is the promise that in the age to come, there is more to come. Like our present reality is not our final reality. Even in our experience with God, our experience with the Holy Spirit is not the final say Like, this is not our final experience. We are just getting a foretaste of the life to come. There is more to come. See, Paul calls it the good deposit when referring to the Holy Spirit. Talking to Timothy, where he says to guard the good deposit. In some ways, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring given. Because you know, when you get an engagement ring that's not the end goal. Like, I mean, I know like whenever you're young and you want to get married, you're thinking like, if I could just get the ring, then we're good. But it's like, we know like the ring isn't the end. That's not the end of the story. That's actually just, that's not even really the beginning of the story. That's like the promise of the beginning of the story. Because, you know, there's still a wedding to come and there's still hopefully a whole life following that wedding to come. There's something bigger and better coming in the future. And so the Holy Spirit's like an engagement ring promising an upcoming wedding to Christ our King. It's a down payment on this amazing life that is going to come in the future. In fact, I remember whenever I decided to uh, propose to Lindsay, you know, of course, I realized I was getting ready to take the job here and I was going to wait till her birthday because we started dating on her birthday and I was going to propose on her birthday and it's one of the few times because normally like if you're like dating and you want to move toward marriage a lot of times people give you advice like whoa slow down a little bit like don't move so fast like you know people will say that but my ministry director had actually said like no I think you need to do it sooner than later I was like what? Well, because they knew I was going to be moving down here. She was still going to be up in Chicago. Long-distance relationships are hard. We already knew we were going to be going in that direction. So he's like, if I were you, I would do it now and not in five months. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't, did not expect that advice. And so I realized, well, I don't have as much time to save for a ring as I thought I did. So I ended up actually, what I did was I had to sell my bass amp. Uh, it's a, it was an Ampeg 410 half stack. <laughs> guys, guys. Guys, like, that was the promised land. Like, that was such an amazing, uh oh, I loved it so much. But I realized, like, okay, I'm not using it right now because, like, I was playing at church and they had you plug into the system. They wouldn't let me have the amp on stage even though it looked super awesome. And so I was like, I think I need to sell it. And I remember telling one of my buddies who was also a musician, and he's like, dude, he's like, I would never sell an amp to buy a ring for a girl. And I'm like, and that's why you're not married. And 15 years later, still not married. So I'll let you think what you will on that. So yeah, I ended up selling the amp and buying the ring for Lindsay. But see, whenever I gave that to her, it wasn't the end. That wasn't the end of our story. It was a promise it was a promise that a better life was coming, that where I was going to live and where she was going to live was change, and we would come together and have a family and, you know, begin this whole new life. Jobs would change, lives would change, houses would change, and that ring was a promise that all of those good things were on the way. Maybe not today, but someday. See, no matter what hardship I'm going through, no matter how hard it got, even when we were apart, and we would go visit each other and stuff. But I I knew at the time, it's like, you think about it, it's like, I wonder how, I've never asked her, but I wonder how many times she would look at that ring to remember, to fantasize and think, well, someday, someday coming up this this summer, someday it's going to happen, that we wouldn't be apart forever. One day we would be together, finally. And see, that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit for us, Given now. He comforts the church in its afflictions and hardship, reminding us that the coming day of union with King Jesus is coming. It gives us that big picture look of saying these things in your life that you think are so big, that you think are insurmountable, these problems that you think will never change and never go away, you have no idea that they don't compare with what's about to happen, they don't compare with what's coming in the future. And so Paul, he perfectly sets this up when we're experiencing those times of just overwhelmed by hardship and sorrow. He talks about this in Romans 8, 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit, him, now notice this, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart Hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What an interesting text. See, in our weakness, sometimes we don't know what to pray for. Anybody else like that? There's some times when I'm just so overwhelmed with sorrow, so overwhelmed with stress, so like inculcated by just only things that I can just see right in front of me that I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to, you know, connect with God in that way. And human intellect and wisdom fails us. And we're kind of at a loss for words. You ever been at a loss for words in prayer? But see, the, be- the beauty about it is that's okay that it actually says that the Spirit intercedes for us, that the Spirit of God in us can pray for us, and we can know it's always according to the will of God, that I don't have to worry about when the Spirit is interceding for me, that when I'm at those times to loss for words to pray in the Spirit, that I don't have to worry about not praying according to the will of God, that I can trust that the Spirit is praying for me. It reminds me of, because I remember one of my favorite texts is where Jesus says something almost kind of ominous to Peter, where he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. And I've asked that you won't fall. And when you turn back, not if you turn back, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And I just sit in awe of that text because it's like Jesus himself is saying, Peter, I prayed for you. Did you know that? I've been praying for you to have Jesus himself praying for you. And it's the same thing here that the spirit is interceding for us. Because there have been times when I'm so grieved and so sad and so frustrated that, again, I was at a loss for words, literally had no idea how to pray, so exhausted and tired and worn out. I desired to pray, but had nothing to give, nothing to say, no words at all. And in those moments, I remember just sitting in the presence of God, just in silence. And this is why the practice of silence can be so powerful to know and trust in those moments that I don't have to strive and crafting these prayers in these neat little ways and say it just the right way or it might not happen, that I can just trust that the Spirit is praying for me in those moments. If you've never been at the end of your rope and done this, you're missing out on a pivotal aspect of your relationship with the Spirit. But see, here's the best part of that. Even in the midst of the trials and the sorrows, and I, and I know, man, there's a lot of stuff going on in our lives right now. Not too long ago we had three different all in the same day it was a Monday morning coming into the office ready to go and I get three different calls about three different people who have passed away and some of them in not great circumstances and there's just a heaviness that comes with that and some of you are dealing with things like that but here's the thing that we need to know that even as the spirit gives comfort and consolation around those things that ultimately the trials we go through, the comfort we receive from God, our whole spiritual life in general is not just about us. And I know that's hard because most of the time we're so focused on our own relationship with God, our own, that we kind of get blinders on. But the spiritual life is not just for you, is not just about you. Robert Mulholland says that the purpose of spiritual formation of the spiritual life is to be conformed to the image of Christ, that we glorify God by being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And what I love about that definition of spiritual formation is two of the key parts to glorify God and for the sake of others have nothing to do with me. Meaning like me being formed in the image of Jesus is not just for me. It's actually for the sake of others. And so Paul, he writes about this. Even the comfort we receive from the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 3, it says this. Paul begins the letter by saying, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ.'" So in a nutshell, what he's saying is that when the Spirit comforts you, it's not just for you. When you're going through something and you're experiencing the consolation, the comfort of the Holy Spirit from God, it's most likely for a purpose beyond yourself, that there might be people in your life who are going through similar things and God wants to use your pain to minister and help them. I remember hearing someone say years ago that God does not waste our pain ever. God does not waste our pain. Some of you are sitting here today and you are in pain because of what's happened in your life in the last month or six months or year. And hear me when I say this, God will not waste your pain. He'll use it if you let him. See, any, anytime God does anything in our lives, it's never just about us. It's about God glorifying himself through us. And that's what the church is supposed to be about. We receive the comforts of God through the Spirit, and we turn right around and pass those same comforts off to a dying and comfortless world. See, we need a Spirit that is comforting us, reminding us of the big big picture. Because I don't know about you guys, but there are many times when I'm just so caught up in just, my week and what's going on, that I completely forget that there is a big picture and I need the Spirit of God to remind me. Because I remember even not that long ago where I just was having a week and it was just stressful and there's a lot of stuff going on. And I remember reading that verse in Romans 8 talking about how I, I do not consider our present sufferings to compare with the glory that's to come. And I had this almost supernatural moment where I got to see my life from God's perspective for just a moment. And I just felt, and again, because Paul writes about the peace that transcends understanding, and I felt that of like the anxiety just melt away as I finally saw my life from God's perspective and realized I am stressing out and freaking out about the dumbest things, things that ultimately don't matter in picture of eternity. And so we need those reminders of the big picture, and the Spirit can give that to us. And so what I actually want us to do this morning is we're going to remind ourselves of the most important big picture, which is the cross. We're gonna uh, end our time taking communion together to remind ourselves of the most important thing. So I'm gonna pray for us and then uh, we're gonna take communion at each of our campuses. If you didn't grab uh, the communion elements at the tables at the back, you you can go ahead and grab that now. I'm gonna go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the spirit that you poured out on us so that we are not alone. You have one coming alongside us to remind us of the big picture. So Father, as we uh, take this time to reflect, God, I pray that you would meet us now, that your spirit would minister to us, to pray for us, intercede for us on, on, according to the will of God. We trust you and we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to encourage you, if you've not grabbed the elements, you're more than welcome to do that. If you're not, uh, maybe you're a visitor at the church, uh, you're welcome at the table. Jesus invited everybody to his table. Uh, If you love Jesus and serve him, whether you're a part of our church or not, you are more than welcome to partake in the bread and the cup. So we're gonna sing a song together and then I'll come back up. Hold on to the elements because I'm gonna lead us through the taking of them together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then later that same evening, he took the cup and he says, this cup is my blood poured out for you in the new covenant. Take and drink. And So Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for the cross. For your son, beaten and bloodied on our behalf for our sins so that we can be forgiven and restored into relationship with you so that you could pour out your Holy Spirit into our lives and truly be God with us, in us, always and ever. God, we thank you for the gift of the cross. We thank you for the gift of your Spirit as he comforts us and consoles us in hard times so that we can turn around and minister those same comforts to those around us who need it desperately in this dying and broken world. Help help us to live out our faith this week to glorify you for the sake of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.